So it's um, pancake day today, did you know? I did. Yeah. And um, in Serena Viegman's press conference earlier where she, you know, talked about the, the squad that she's uh, announced for the Lionesses, she was asked um, what her favourite pancake topping was. Right. And it was just, it was just funny because it was like, the journalist is like, you know, can you talk about why it's selecting Nikita Paris? Like, what more does she need to do? And then like, you know, what's happened to Katie Zellum? And, and like, Serena was like, you know, it's it's always a tough decision. Like, you know, to these tough conversations with the players and I've spoken to them and, you know, it's tough. And it was like, it's pancake day today. What's your favourite pancake time? Moving swiftly on to the, the real meat of just, the uh, Lioness's chat. I'm just thinking if you're, um, if you're like Nikita to Paris or Katie Zellum watching that, you're just like, cool. What was Serena's pancake topping well, choice? So this is interesting because I couldn't remember from, you know, you sort of watched the press conference at the corner of my eye earlier. So I Googled it. I Googled Serena Vigman pancake. And a news article came up from like, 2020 when she first got the England job and it was like meet Serena Viegman the new England manager yeah and everyone was talking about her pancake obsession so apparently the first time she signed a a coaching contract for to coach a women's team was in a pancake restaurant in the Hague okay so we've come full circle yeah but also in the press conference she said when asked what's your favorite pancake topic she said I don't really eat a lot of pancakes so Fake news. So what we know she... she went to a pancake restaurant in The Hague at least What once. was she doing in that pancake and restaurant in The Hague I don't know about then. you, but I have never been to a pancake restaurant. No, so, it's quite specialised. And, and I have eaten pancakes quite a lot in my life. Maybe she just hangs around pancake restaurants. That's how all of the, the big Dutch coaches got their start. Cruyff, so, Rijkaard, they all just hang around pancake restaurants, not eating anything, and then eventually someone comes along and gives them a contract. Offers them a job. Yeah. In summary, I no longer trust Serena Vigman. I was hoping you were going to say... Some sort of pancake conspiracy going on. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to say lemon and sugar, which is by far and away the goat pancake choice. I agree, I agree. I thought you were going to disagree. We've just probably lost half of our listeners now, but... Well, we've lost the the half that are wrong, and we remain with the half that are right. Fair enough, yeah. It's a trade-off I'm willing to make. Hello and welcome back to the Why Are We She podcast. I'm Charlie Parks and I'm with Matt Clough. Hello again. I don't know what that voice was about. Which episode is this? It's episode five, mate. Five or six. Five. It's, fi- it's episode five. What are we talking about today then? Pancakes. Pancakes. Yeah. Yeah. Just pancakes. Like the traitors episode, we're just yeah, going to say gonna speculate what on. which lioness would be what pancake topping. Um, even more boring, we're just going to speculate what kind of pancake toppings they'd have. Yeah, okay. Okay, I can't even, I don't even have the energy to pretend. Lucy Bronze, plain. <laughs> the pancake is its own reward. Yeah, so I thought today we'd have a chat about, I guess, the best way to put it is competition or competitiveness in women's football in, you know, the WSL and beyond. It's a topic that comes up quite a lot. You know, is it... Are you know the leagues competitive enough, etc. So I thought, particularly off the back of the you know the FA Cup, we had the FA Cup um, fifth round. Yeah. Uh, this weekend, I thought it was you know it was quite timely to discuss this. Uh, yeah. Just because you know all all of the teams that are now in the 
the quarterfinals are WSL sides. Yes. All of the championship sides got knocked out and then there was a third tier team. And Arsenal. Well. <laughs> oh, God. So the real dregs of women's funny. football in, uh, in England have been knocked out now. Yeah, it was quite an interesting uh, weekend in that you know, the championship at, at the point of recording has a little cluster of teams all vying for the one promotion slot up to the WSL. They all ended up playing WSL uh, opponents and they all lost with varying degrees of severity. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting um, kind of... I think they all probably looked at it as, as a, a way to test the waters and test their metal against... WSL teams and yeah some some I know I won't step on your toes you you crack on yeah I'm the host step <laughs> off mate um off the back of that yeah I was just going to mention that although all of the championship teams got knocked out there were three particular games that were quite close really mm-hmm. you know it was a close call for you know the WSL sides that came up against these teams so for example Crystal Palace held Chelsea off for 80 minutes before um, Myra Ramirez scored the most ridiculous goal in the first goal at Chelsea. Yeah. By the way, I saw someone on Twitter say that Ramirez's back heel was better than Russo's back heel, which is just outrageous. Objectively wrong. Get off the internet. Um, it was a great goal, though. It was. But yeah, so, you know, Emma Hayes said afterwards, you know, they played like a WSL side. She wouldn't be surprised to see them in the WSL next season. Charlton and Spurs was a similar story. They held off Spurs for, I can't remember, like 70 minutes maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I saw a bit of the Southampton-Man United game and Southampton were absolutely relentlessly hammering Man United. Well, Man United were at 1-0. Uh, and then, you know, they got this fluky goal that was supposed to be a cross. And then Rachel Williams came on and scored two headers like she does. And that was it. But, you know, for a minute there, I was like... Southampton might do this something could happen here this might be the upset so there wasn't really an upset in any way shape or form so the biggest upset was City beating Arsenal which it's not really an upset it's not an upset is it no when it's two you know big big teams like that you know you're not surprised really yeah and we went to see Leicester versus Birmingham City who are another one of this cluster of championship teams vying for promotion and that I think that was kind of the spur for us to talk about competitiveness this yeah. this week because Birmingham scored within about a minute and they did they did equalise after Leicester had scored a couple of goals but with the best will in the world Leicester looked a complete class above they looked like they had multiple gears to go through and were basically scoring at will um, and that's no disrespect to Birmingham but it, it it did kind of raise the question if this is the team to come up to to the WSL next season, you know, are they really going to be equipped to compete? Are they going to have to, you know, basically overhaul a huge chunk of their team to have any hope of of staying up? Are they going to have to kind of uh, follow the Bristol City model, which is unfortunately looking for Bristol City like it's not going to be enough to keep them in the league this season, but where they, you know, spend the majority of their games sat in the low block trying to go very direct, launch the ball forward on the off chance that, you know, as we saw the other week when they, when they uh, drew to all with Villa, relying on, you know, an absolute moment of magic to, to get the goal and unfortunately relying on sort of very low XG opportunities and hoping one of them comes off is, is not really a recipe for long-term success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 
as I was about to say, you know, while, while there were three pretty big teams, you know, having battles in the uh, in the FA Cup. Meanwhile, at the Pirelli Stadium, yeah, you know, quietly the best team in the league, Leicester, yeah, battering Blues six two, just cruise control. Yeah, but what you were saying there about about Bristol and and playing the low block, Blues did not do that at all. No, we both went into that. You know, we went to that match, and we both went to that match expecting to see a low block for yep. most of the match, um, with a you know a bit of counter attack. Yeah, well, particularly after they went one 0 up with the you know almost the first attack of the game, it would have been very easy for them to just sit in and mm. and defend. But you know, credit to them. I think they again looking at it from their perspective as a a trial run for the sort of matches they might have next season if they were to get promoted. I think. You know, they they looked at it and said, "Well, we'll learn more by trying to play this game on our terms than we would, you know, necessarily doing a what Palace did, which was just yeah, sit in mm. and kind of hang on for your lives, sort of thing." Yeah, yeah, they aggressively pressed for you know the first half, yeah. and then it just ran out a bit of steam, the, didn't they? The second half, first bit of the second half, because you know at three at half time it was three two, they were still in the game really. Yeah. So you know, come out. And give it some, but I think that's that was sort of the, the the point that I wanted to make was that you know I think the difference is these individual moments of quality yeah. that you get from you know WSL players. Yep, they're just able to make those things happen in in those moments, and yeah. and I think you know in the Leicester game um, we made that happen six times. Yeah, um, I think fitness plays a role as well, and obviously yeah, the, so you know, I think. You know, Blues noticeably. I think a lot of their discipline went. You know, they gave away a lot of fouls in the second half. Yeah, they were getting very scrappy, very. Yeah, I think they were, they were just struggling to to keep up with the Leicester players a lot of the time. Yeah. So they were resorting to you know just doing whatever they could to stop the players. There was no, nothing particularly malicious in there. It was no, just, no, the just sort mean, of a, yeah, yeah. They, I think they they like you say they they came out in the second half and really gave everything they had left in the first 10 minutes just trying to press and and potentially win a way back into the game and when that didn't work out they uh wilted a bit didn't they yeah and like you know i think their their manager said afterwards that we we punished them when they made errors which i think is fair and he said like wsl wsl sides will do that i mean that's fair but i think our build-up play was noticeably better yeah you know we've got stronger options coming off the bench Yes, you've absolutely. Got a deeper squad, better squad, you know, more depth and breadth in the squad. So, you know, I think basically that's the, that's the context that you know I was coming to this topic with. I guess to move away from the championship a little bit and just talk about the WSL, you know, because I've seen criticisms of the WSL not just by people online, just like people in the media as well, um, saying that it's not very competitive. You know, it's frustrating that there's only these four teams who seem to be competing for the title race. But, you know, now we're looking not even towards the tail end of the season. We've still got a couple of months left. And now it's looking like, you know, Arsenal have seen themselves out of that title race. Yeah. And there's only, basically only two teams left in it. Yeah. Unless something really strange happens. And they play each other on Friday. And that, mm-hmm. if, if Chelsea were to beat City there... You know, you listening to this potentially after that match has happened, the title race may already be effectively over with a couple of months left in the season. This is very true. Yeah. So, but I feel like you know, outside of that 
that title race and that sort of top three, top four, you know, I feel like, obviously I'm, as you are, new to the WSL. Yep. I don't know what it was like last season. I don't know, if it, I don't know what it was really like the, the season before. But, you know, having heard anecdotes, punditry, commentary, I feel like there is a bit more belief from yeah. the, the teams lower down that, that, you know, upsets can happen. And will there be upsets for much longer sort of thing? You know, because, for example, in the, you know, in the Premier League, if Villa beat Man City... It's not really described as an upset anymore, is it? No. I'd say it's like a good result for Villa, but you're not saying it's an upset. No. Whereas, you know, in the WSL, if, you know, obviously, um, not last week, the week before, West Ham beat Arsenal, and that was a genuine shock. Yes, absolutely. Arsenal. It was, you know, it was it was treated in the same terms that you would expect to see a in the men's game, you know, a Premier League team losing to a, a mm. you know, a championship team in the FA Cup exactly. or, or something along those lines. That's yeah, that's what I was getting at. And then so like obviously we've had a couple of examples of that this season, like Brighton beat City earlier in the season, you know, Liverpool beat Man United, Spurs beat Arsenal. So, you know, and then in the last game week, Leicester almost held City to a nil nil. Um, but again, there was just these two moments of ridiculous individual quality, mm-hmm. which I would also call luck. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I just feel like it does feel like it is a bit more competitive. Yeah, and, and as the season's gone on, I feel less assured about what how certain games are gonna sort of turn out. Like, yeah, on, on you know, if I you'd, think if, that's you'd, fair. if you'd said to me at the start of the season, Chelsea City. This weekend, this Friday, I'd be like, "Oh, Chelsea, Chelsea, will yeah." That. But now I don't know. No, and which I... I know that sort of we're still talking about the the two the two teams at the top of the title race. But I think considering where Chelsea are, and I think even that in itself is is positive. Yeah, I mean, so I, I I've crunched the numbers on this, and yeah, basically, as you say, neither of us are experts when it comes to kind of the the past iterations of the WSL the past seasons so I wanted to go down the list and I, I went through the last uh, sort of six or seven seasons looking at basically points per game and, and what it took to either win the league come second come third or be the team in the relegation spot and basically the numbers are incredibly consistent that you know to win to win the league you need to average 2.6 points a season to come second you average 2.5 to come third, you average two point one or two point two, and if you to be the, the relegated team, almost always averages zero point five points a game. So, what that kind of tells us or doesn't tell us is that the gap isn't really widening, so to speak. It's not getting any narrower. But the the good teams are as good as they've always been. The relegation threatened teams are generally as bad as they've always been. But I think what is interesting is. Going back through, and again, obviously we, we we've said earlier that it seems like Bristol City are destined to to go straight back down um, this season, having come up last season. Um, but that will be the first time that the um, the newly promoted team has has finished bottom of the league since I believe 2017, when when Yeovil did it, and also in that season they didn't actually get relegated due to administrative stuff happening to other teams. But what what I think that does kind of suggest with with Bristol dropping back down is that there is a 
a more established kind of middle of the pack to the WSL now. It's no, and that that is a that's a blessing and a curse because on the one hand, I think like you say, there is a a group of teams emerging now. You know, Spurs, um, Liverpool, potentially Leicester as well, where I think you can you can say they're they're not in that elite yet, but they have the capability of upsetting that elite and being almost effectively becoming kingmakers in the WSL based on the fact that, you know, once or twice a season they will pull off a shock result and that will be what scuppers Chelsea or Man City or something like that. Now, obviously the flip side to that is with that kind of middle class of teams being established is how how does the championship respond because obviously what we don't want to happen is a situation where you've got this this elite group of three teams slash four teams whether you include man united then a sort of a very solidified unbreakable group of teams that are, are kind of mired in the middle that they're, they're not good enough to win the league but they're also capable of you know doing what leicester did to birmingham just absolutely steamrolling them and then you know one or potentially two teams that have kind of recently come out of the championship you know and you you don't want to use the phrase cannon fodder but who are you know as as Bristol City are kind of having to do this season where it's 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 really kind of every match is is a sort of an exercise in in trying to hang on and defend deep and then hit teams on the break or as we said earlier rely on moments of kind of magic that ultimately you, you can't replicate over and over again very true very true and i think there's some more points and context around that which i want to get into in just a bit but just to sort of expand it out slightly to look at the bigger picture across more than just the wsl so um so yeah if you look at like liga f for example which is the spanish uh, league top league it's just the barcelona show uh, they've won every game this season I didn't note down what the goal difference was, but it's something ridiculous. It would take us the rest of the podcast to say how large the number is of their goal difference. Um, But then beyond them, I think Real Madrid are about eight points behind them or something. And then beyond that, it looks a bit more competitive. So if you're looking at like the Champions League spots or whatever, it does look a bit more competitive. But Barcelona are just miles ahead. And like I say, they, they've they've not even drawn a game. They've won every single game. So it's like, that's a foregone conclusion. And it feels it must feel like a foregone conclusion every season. season. And then in France, their top league, I'm not going to try and embarrass myself by pronouncing the name with my GCSE French. Um, you know, Je m'appelle <laughs> League. Je m'appelle Lindsay Horan. Um, Leon uh, top, they're 10 points above PSG. You know, I, get, I haven't looked at the history of the league, but they've won a lot. I think they've won the past couple of seasons. And then... Uh, and Leon have been so dominant that they've had the time to set up a franchise in America. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> kind of. Just bored, so they're just set yeah, up a team yeah. in, in, uh, in America. Com- they've completed French football. There's nothing left to do. <laughs> let's, just, it, mate. let's just go and... Uh, but yeah, so... And then Paris FC are in third, and then they're nine points ahead of Montpellier. So... I think at least Chelsea looked vaguely mortal and catchable. Yeah. You know, it, it, even if it is by one team at this stage, unless Arsenal drastically change something, which I don't think they will. But yeah, at least there is some question as to whether Chelsea will win the title. Whereas if you're in Spain or France, it's like, well, it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. So, and something that I wanted to mention as well, which I, I found really interesting and was sort of the original inspiration for this topic um, was listen to uh, Sophie Howard's podcast show Shout about out Sophie Howard. Howard 
Leicester brick wall. She had Janice Kamen on her teammate. Again, Leicester legend. Shout out Janice Kamen. Love her. Uh, she used to play at Leon. She won the Champions League with them twice. Won the league with them countless times. And she talked about how it was a different sort of, obviously, competition and pressure playing at Leon as it is to obviously playing at Leicester, where, you know, not so much this season. I think we're safe now, hopefully. Touch wood. But, you know, the pressure to, to stay up you know, every point matters, every game matters sort of thing versus the pressure to be perfect mm. so that you win the league, you get Champions League. Um, and she also said that, you know, a lot of the time at Leon, training was more competitive and more challenging than the actual matches because she was playing with the mm. best players in the world. Yeah, who happened to all be her teammates. Yeah. And then in the league on the weekend, it was like 6-0 or something. Yeah. So it was just that was just an interesting bit of insight. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, like you say, Spain and France clearly have a, a competition issue. And whether, you know, for example, PSG and Real Madrid both have the financial resources to presumably address that, although it might take some time to, to overhaul the teams that are dominating those leagues. Like you say, I mean, Chelsea, they've obviously had some big wins this, this season, but they've also had games where, you know, against... Arsenal where they they lost pretty heavily Mm -hmm. they've had games where they have won but haven't looked particularly impressive it's it's not this sort of it's not as imperious as I would have thought you know it would have looked like based on on their record and it kind of comes down to you know what what does a competitive league look like how competitive do you want a league to be and we are I know I know you've got you're smiling you have a bee in your bonnet about this we'll get on to this but you know, I, I think we can we can say, yeah, and this is our opinion. Like you say, there there might be once you if you exclude Barcelona from the Liga F discussion, is is Liga F actually a much more competitive league as long as you just ignore the fact that Barcelona are going to win it and beat every single team in every match? But I think yeah, obviously we're we're in a, we're in a situation where coming at it from a you know as as I've got the experience on the on the men's side of the game, obviously Chelsea are are vying for their their fifth title in a row. And again, I I know I say this every single episode. I don't want to just compare it to the men's side, but obviously we you know Chelsea women are affiliated with Chelsea men. There's no it's it's not a huge surprise that the most successful teams in the women's game at the moment in England are the ones affiliated with some of the biggest teams on the men's side, which kind of developed obviously over a much longer period whereas the WSL has kind of been on this accelerated path where you know Arsenal had 50,000 season ticket holders ready to go Man United have come up and and have this established fan base and all that kind of thing but just on the men's side uh, Man City this season are, are going for four titles in a row which has never happened in over 100 years of the men's first division um whereas yeah, like we say, Chelsea are are going for a fifth title already in what is only the sort of is it the tenth year of the WSL, something like that. Yeah, I think so. Um, and yeah, it, it just I, I I definitely think there's a, a conversation to be had about the competitiveness and like we say that there's there's multiple different angles you can come at it from because you've got this. Is it purely about who can win the league? Is it purely about enabling teams that come up into the WSL to that have a real chance because if that was to happen for example you 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 know the only way that's that's realistically going to happen is by massively weakening the WSL and you know would you want that really i and i know we're going to get onto the the NWSL uh conversation in a second but like other than last season 
where Man United finished second. It was that was the first season since 2014 where Chelsea, City, and Arsenal didn't make up the the entire top three. So you you, you do have these sort of mini leagues breaking out and. Again, you, you don't want to be in a situation where you say, well, as long as you ignore these two teams that were terrible and these two teams that were amazing, then it was actually quite competitive because ideally you'd have everyone competing. But, you know, that's... That, that, I, I think, yeah, the, the point I'm trying to make in a very roundabout and clumsy way is that it, it, looking at it purely from a, you know, this team has won the league 15 times in a row, that obviously is a massive factor, probably the biggest factor in competitiveness, but it's not the only factor. And you can have a competitive league that just means that, you know, diff- different little mini leagues break out within it, which probably brings us quite neatly onto the NWSL, which I know is a topic close to your heart. Yeah, it does. Just to correct something that we said before, the WSL was established um, in 2010 and okay. its first season was 2011. So 13 years. 13 years. Unlucky for some. Yeah. Probably not Chelsea. Probably not Chelsea. (laughs) Yeah, so as you say, that brings us quite nicely onto another topic, which is the NWSL, which is the National Women's Soccer League, is it? Sounds about right to me. Yeah, which is the American uh, top flight of women's football. So the reason for bringing that up is that that league is quite often lauded for having, you know, the most parity. Mm Mm-hmm. So I guess you would say the most competitiveness of, of any league in the world. Laura Harvey, who's a coach out there, said it was like playing in the Champions League every week. Um, Except with different teams and you're in America. So, you know, there's there's always a lot of there's a lot of comparison and discussion, you know, you know, various online spaces and sometimes in the media, more just people with hot takes on Reddit <laughs> saying that they prefer you know the end of herself because it's more competitive and you know it's like anyone could win i don't find that comparison particularly useful because i think the systems are very different as we'll i'm sure we'll get onto in a minute in fact yeah. i will get onto it now because in doing research for this episode i didn't even realize in my ignorance how the sort of NW, nwsl season worked so obviously they have a league and a season like we we would normally and then you know someone's top of the league they get for that they get something called the nwsl shield but then they have a playoff system which is similar to other american sports like yeah. baseball or basketball nfl nfl shout out super bowl superb owl and then so yeah the top at the moment the top six teams go into that that playoff tournament um but i think because the league's expanding this year to 14 teams they're gonna go for the top eight yes and then basically any of that top six can win the playoff tournament yeah. And then they are the champions of the NWSL. Yes. Which I think I said to you when I discovered this, I don't really get that. I know it's how American sports work, but I I just don't really understand why. I don't know. Like, I feel like I feel like you should be rewarded for consistency throughout the season. Yeah. And work, you know, and, and getting those results throughout the season and maintaining quality throughout the season, not just having... You know. It's essentially quite a fluky run at the end yeah. of the season and, and cobbling together a few results, which which then, yeah. Yeah, and like I feel like they're like, oh, it's amazing that, that you know, so like, for example, this the season just gone, 2023, San Diego Wave were the top of the league, so they won the NWSL Shield. And then Gotham or New York, New, New York, Jersey, New, Jersey, Gotham, the, New Hampshire, called, New Brunswick. Won, yeah, they were the NWSL champions because they won the playoffs, but they were sixth in the league. Yeah. So if I was like, you know, say if I was like 
flipping it, if if we were like Chelsea fans, yeah, and Chelsea won the league, but then like I think is it Spurs or six at the minute or Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, one of those two. I'm so, sure. So so let's say Spurs, and then it was like, oh well, no, Spurs have won; they're the champions. I'd be like, what? No, we're the champions. We won the league. Yeah, I I think I agree. You know, I I I say this as a you know a baseball fan. Um, I and I respect the format that they've had over there, but for me, for for football, like you say, I I think the league and and you hear this a lot from players who've you know won the Premier League and won, won WSL. They consider the league to be the almost like the ultimate test, whichever league they're in, because you know you you can and we've seen it time and time again, not so much in the women's game, but in the men's, where teams have kind of come out of nowhere to win the Champions League, have have kind of had a you know, think of of Chelsea back in the early 2010s when they beat Bayern Munich, and it was it was just a, almost a complete aberration of a result. It was it was it it was it was you know the beauty of a one-off game deciding it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, that's you know, cup competitions are designed to test your your ability to handle one-off pressure. But equally, I agree. I think you know that the league should remain as the ultimate kind of reward and the ultimate test of a team's ability because that is the the thing you need to go in week in week out and and perform and hold off other teams and stuff like that um so you know i think obviously we have competitions over here which are separate from the league i wouldn't if the if the new co that have taken over the wsl were to turn around and say we want to introduce this format i wouldn't necessarily have a problem with it although i would i would like to see that the league champions remain the champions you know have have flip it round have a, a wsl champions say this season it's chelsea and then say on oh, by the way we'll have a one off competition with the top 4 teams or the top 6 teams and whoever wins that wins the shield. A little bit like we have in the men's game in England with the Community Shield, which is obviously between the, the league winners and the FA Cup winners. Um, whether anyone would actually really care about this kind of post-tournament competition. And, you know, I think this is we're dealing with complete hy- uh, hypotheticals here because, you know, there's so much talk at the moment, and rightly so, about the, the amount of games women are now being asked to play I think adding an extra tournament for something which I think you know most English or European football fans would kind of denigrate as not being you know something they really care about in large part because we have this tradition of having the league as the you know the major thing I think that would um yeah I I don't know like I say I I, I'm I'm more sceptical about the US system. And obviously the other big thing to say about the NWSL is they are adding expansion slots, but there's no relegation. Yeah, so there's no... That's the other thing I'm not a fan of, is there's no jeopardy. Yeah. So, and and I think I said to you, the other thing I don't really like about the about the whole playoffs thing and the, you can be champions even if... Well, next, this season, you can be champions if you're eighth. Um, you know, what is your incentive to keep pushing and, and, and keep competing every week? Or I don't know how often they play games because they're obviously all over the shop, aren't yeah. they? Um, but what is you? What is your actual motivation to keep pushing? Yeah. To get results because I mean I know you know I'm not an idiot. Obviously they're athletes, they're competitive, they're going to want to win as much as they can. But like I said, there's no jeopardy, and then you know that you are going to go into the what they call in you know baseball the postseason, even if you come mid-table. So just for me, I just question the incentive to 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 like I say push every week. And whether that means that, you know, it's competitive enough 
because of that because so flipping that is it actually making it less competitive because of that yeah because you're not pushing each other to the limit every every time absolutely i mean like i say you know, I, maybe I, i'm being harsh maybe you know obviously they, they will want to compete and but i think you've got a stat haven't you well it's not really a stat you just know the fact like how many times the shield winner and obviously it hasn't been around for that long i think it was established after the wsl but yeah it hasn't been around for that long but how many times was it that the Shield winner and the champions have been the same? I think it's, it's only happened twice and it was yeah. the same team. I think it was... was it Portland Thorns? No, no, I think it was the North Carolina Courage. Okay. And I think that they that were clearly just so bit far beyond any other team. So they, they won it. They won both competitions in two years running, effectively. Mm. But it is interesting and like... You know that, like you say, that some some fans might say, "Well, that's great because that means you know a team can win the league, a team can win the cup." You know, you, that's that's the way it works. But I think what is interesting from a parity perspective, I think that's a really good point you raised there, where you have to also kind of, as well as there being no relegation, there's not really much in the way of kind of certainly not to the degree that we've got over here with the Champions League, like kind of more um, international club competitions. And I think where you can see the argument for saying, oh, well, you know, the NWSL, we have the draft, we have all of that kind of stuff that's designed to keep, you know, checks and balances in place to, to stop a team becoming a Barcelona or becoming a Leon. I think what, what, can, what would be interesting there was if there was to be a, you know, if NWSL teams were suddenly invited into the Champions League and it became about all about, you know, be as strong as possible so you can get to the very top here where would all those systems they've got in place to kind of achieve that parity would they suddenly look quite outdated and would they suddenly get a lot of pushback because you know say you know like like say gotham fc get entered into the champions league next season and the the nwsl starts to look bad on the basis that like well your actual strongest teams aren't here because you've got this system where you you know any team down to sixth or, or eighth place going forward can can win the league and also again it's it's worth pointing out just on the american kind of sports systems obviously draft systems are designed to you know reward Affected you are they're not designed to reward failure but they they can have that by effect of doing it where you you give teams that struggled higher draft picks and what we've seen in for example baseball is teams realizing that there's basically no incentive to be mid-table if you, if you can't hit those admittedly quite generous sort of playoff spots if you're not going to compete for those you're actually your best move is to be as bad as humanly possible in order to hoard high draft picks, which you can then either use to claim the best players, or you can trade with other league, um, sorry, with other teams, and and you know again, so full disclosure, I am a Baltimore Orioles baseball fan, and they have gone from in in the space of a, of a few years without really having to spend any money at all. They've gone from being a, historically one of the worst baseball teams we've ever seen to now being a team that people are saying is, you know, are likely to win the World Series in the next five years, are, are highly expected to be competing at the very top. And it's because they they did what's known as tanking, where they just said, well, we're not going to get into the playoffs this year, sell every player who has any sort of value, get rid of them, save on wages, don't, you know, don't hire anything that could be construed as a a sort of a, a a waste on resources 
and the the net result is you have these teams going sort of swinging violently from being absolutely awful and getting no fans in to watch them because they're so bad to suddenly being incredible and you know that might look like again we as we said earlier competitiveness can take many forms that might look like competitiveness to, to some people it's to, like sorry to interrupt no it's okay I, that to me feels like forced competitiveness it's like you've got to put checks and balances and rules and mechanisms in place to make it competitive whereas if you just let people do what they do and actually compete just the way that we do as in here's the league yeah try and win as many games as you can yeah you know it's up to you what players you get you you need to spend money and develop and it's all on you we're not going to help you yeah you know, I, I think it can... that and 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 yeah you, like you say you do get your chelsea's and your barcelona's and your leon's emerging but equally you know if you're a team lower down the league you, those highs feel even higher because yeah. you've because the lows are low and you know there's a lot of lows yeah or there's a lot of sort of troughs as it were yeah so if when you do get an incredible result it's even better absolutely yeah and i I think again i know i I mentioned that the champions league kind of equation earlier but there there is talk of a club world cup being introduced for the women's game which Mm -hmm. you know you you would assume will largely focus on on adding nwsl games uh, sorry nwsl teams together with european teams to, to see how they can compete and it will be really interesting when that comes to pass if, you know, Barcelona or Leon or Chelsea start to kind of steamroller NWSL teams consistently. Will there suddenly be a debate about, oh, how, like you say, how, if we've taken all this kind of, I guess you could call it like affirmative action to, to balance the NWSL and, and keep it competitive in inverted commas. But has it actually just meant that the best teams are nowhere near as good as they could have been like for example we you know there's there's a lot of talk in the WSL at the moment about are the top teams kind of hoarding talent are you know you've got like a player like Grace Clinton who is on loan at the moment but if she goes back to Man U you know would Man U take her back and just not let her go out on loan purely to sort of spite Spurs next season to stop them pushing on and potentially overtaking them you know Chelsea have got three goalkeepers all of whom you know would would be real assets to almost every team in in the WSL would except for Man United except for Man United obviously but you know that from that you can say oh that's uncompetitive what they're doing that kind of thing but on the flip side if you're if if from a Chelsea perspective and you're suddenly playing an NWSL team you're like well yeah we we we're hoarding these players we're stopping mm-hmm. other teams having them but it's made us this team and we're now going to absolutely crush the insert NWSL team well the example I always use is Emma Hayes' old club who aren't even in the NWSL the Long Island Lady Riders because it's an objectively (laughs) quite a funny name but yeah yeah that's definitely um, an interesting point about about the squads and I think for you know other teams outside of the top three four in in the WSL for example I think that's going to come down to you know increased funding and investment um, in in the women's teams really isn't it Um, you know I've said to you outside of the podcast, like, I think, obviously, I would hope that, you know, Leicester men's team are highly likely to go back up to the Premier yep, League absolutely. next season. And I would hope that would have a knock-on effect, you know, on the women's team in some way. Uh, you know, you've done some good recruitment in January, so 
you know, I think we've got a good team, but yeah. you still want to you want to build out the squad and and your options as much as possible so you can start to compete with these bigger teams. So you know, there were a couple of examples. So in twenty twenty one, Casey Stoney was manager of Man United and quit because of lack of funding. And then in last year, uh, Reading got relegated, and their manager Kelly Chambers said that they really struggled to compete with a smaller budget for wages, so they couldn't bring in the top talent. Yeah. That you know, like uh, a team with a backing of a Premier League club could. Yeah, I, I think that's sorry to sorry to interrupt, but I think that is a a good point of, and it kind of ties to what we were saying earlier about how you know the WSL is in this sort of slightly odd situation where. The, the the most successful teams are mirror mirroring the men's teams to an, to an extent and the the danger you do get is a situation like reading where the the men's team has basically gone into meltdown with an absentee owner and obviously the the women's team is is just a it's a it's a much smaller ship on on the same very kind of tumultuous ocean and yeah it's it's a uh, it's a danger and it is a worry because, you know, unfortunately Reading are not going to be the last club that find themselves in this situation. I mean, look at, for example, look at Manchester City with these, um, the Premier League charges hanging over them. There's obviously been talk about them being relegated and stuff like that, whether that would drive the owners to sell and, and just give up. But, you know, that's that's complete speculation at the moment. But it's it's not inconceivable to see a situation where the men's team suddenly has the rug pulled from out from underneath them the owners as a kind of protest just just say well we're, we're done and then it would suddenly be a question of well man city where where does that leave the women's team which is obviously not an ideal situation yeah i'm glad you mentioned man city because that leads me on to my hot take for the week can go i go on. to my hot take let's do it, it it's sort of uh, it's sort of related so i've been thinking a little bit that Man City, outside of what you've just said, which is definitely a factor. Yeah. Um, you know, if we put that to one side and we assume they're going to get away with whatever they've done and stay up and stay, you know, in the position that they are. Um, I think the women's team, I don't know, are they still in a bit of trouble sort of mid, mid to long term regards their squad and, and their sort of talent? Because this has come off the back of, obviously, Lauren Hemp's contract is up in the summer. She hasn't renewed it yet. There's talk that Barcelona are interested in her. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, there was a another sort of shock story that came out that, well, not a shock, but, you know, PSG have made a statement, sort of put put a, you know, a line in the sand, a flag in the sand, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. <laughs> a flag and a line. A flag and a line in the sand on the moon. Um, and said that they want to ho- they want to bring in Chloe Kelly and they want to make her the highest paid women's player yep. in the world. So I'm looking at that and then what's happened in the past where they've let like Stanway, Walsh, Bronze and like Caroline Weir go. Yep. And I'm thinking... Potentially Ellie Roebuck as well. Yeah. <laughs> and their squad's already quite thin really in terms of like the... Like their first team, they've got some incredible options, but beyond that, it's quite thin. If you look at the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea, the depth and breadth of their squad is ridiculous. Yeah. So, and then obviously Jill Rod is is a massive miss for them now, um, as well. And they recruited in Jan, but it was sort of like younger players. Yeah, ones for the future. Like, yeah, kind like of thing. A, uh, Laura Binkild Brown came from Villa, and then there was another Irish player, and I can't remember her name. Um, but yeah, so 
I don't know, I'm just sort of thinking, you know, because obviously, for example, in the example of, of Chloe, Kelly and Lauren Hemp, they are so integral to their system. Yeah, absolutely. They play, they they start every match, you know, sometimes they play 490s, like... Yeah, because the squad quite is often quite often play thin. 490s. Yeah, yeah. And as as is Bunny Shaw, to be fair, but I don't really see Bunny Shaw going... I haven't seen any buzz around Bunny no. Shaw or anything like that, so that probably would be fine. But I think, for example, if they lost Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly in the summer, well, I don't think they can lose Chloe Kelly in the summer, but, you know, maybe next... Next well, the bid was big enough. Maybe I don't know what's going on with the contract. I yeah. just know that PSG had said that they it was like a statement of intent from PSG. Yeah. It wasn't like a yeah. you know we're coming for it now sort of thing. Um, but yeah, if they lose Hemp and Kelly in the near future, you've either got to completely rework your system around some different players, or you've got to bring in two more wingers like Hemp and Kelly, which I'm not sure there are many. Yeah. So so yeah, one of the things that was quite funny when i was doing the research for this bit is that um i couldn't remember whether georgia stanway had gone on a free or what to Bayern munich she did go on a free and um it was because she was getting frustrated at city because she was in a season with a lot of injuries she was being being used as a bit of a sort of jack of all trades so i thought you would find this funny so she was played at right back defensive mid and at one point she was their second choice goalkeeper <laughs> That is good. <laughs> Georgia Stanway, of all people. I could absolutely... I could see her doing that. I would, you know, I would question why Serena, today announcing her squad, has bothered with Keating and Hampton. Or Erps, just Stanway. Oh, that's, yeah. that's the future. Georgia Stanway is a goalkeeper. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So just to provide some context to that as well, um, we, because we'll probably say it at some point, in the podcast in the future yeah it'll slip Stanway. out Georgia Stanway of all people is because I think it was a it was a World Cup final wasn't it I think so and yeah I think she had a shot or something and the commentator was like Georgia Stanway of all people and we just found it hilarious and we've said it ever since yeah every single of time Georgia people. Stanway comes up of all people so yeah I just thought you know that was my hot take I, I mean they're not using midfielders as goalkeepers anymore but it seems like they've had this problem before yeah and they have not they don't really have a similar problem with, with the Jill Rudd injury, but they don't have anyone that can come and step directly into her shoes. And I think no. there has been a noticeable drop-off in their sort of attacking potency since she's been injured. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they went from like, scoring about six goals a match to sort of eking out one or two nil wins. Yeah, and, and I think the difference was they had that, that other outlet in terms of someone driving into the box, whereas, you know, now they just have to rely on that system where they get the ball out wide to Hemp and Kelly and they bang crosses in for Bunny Shaw which you know you have to argue does work to some extent but I just think when that's not working they had another outlet in terms of Jill Roar absolutely they had a plan B you know Jess Park I think can fulfil that role but she's I don't think she's at the level that Jill Roar is no no and then you've got like Angle Doll who again I don't think can do that role and then Hasegawa who's more more deep lying more yeah more of a holding midfielder yeah um but yeah, so that's my hot take anyway. I think I think they need to maybe look at how they're going to keep these players if they're going to sort of really, really continue to challenge the likes of Chelsea. Yep. I was going to say and Arsenal, but... Who can say? I think it's interesting because... Arsenal cause have descended into chaos. There's obviously been so much chat. Again, we, we, we may be releasing this episode post 
a 5-0 Chelsea win on Friday, which has completely ended the title race. But there has been a lot of chat about how good City have been and, and people sort of saying they played the best football and all this stuff. But it is interesting that, yeah, all it's taken, I say all it's taken is, is you know, an injury to one of their best players, one of the best players in the world. And, yeah, it, it sort of looks like they've they've had one of their arms chopped off. And like you say, if, if Chloe, Kelly or Hemp or Bunny Shaw were to get injured now, you'd suddenly be looking at them and thinking, I have no idea where they're going to go with this now. Exactly, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's an, is, it, is it a bit of a sort of a house built on the sand kind of thing? Mm. I mean, without looking, I don't, they don't even have another striker, really. No, like, Laura know, Coombs will have to fill in. At, at the... Um, at the weekend when they played Arsenal, um, Bunny Shaw went off with a bit of a bit of a calf thing. Um, but yeah, so when she went off, they brought Mary Fowler on, who's basically like yeah, a, and Hemp moved a, into the middle. A not as good version of Lauren Hemp. Sorry, yeah. Mary Fowler. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I, I guess it's not that hot really, if it's true. No, I think but, like you say, they had they have a first eleven which is brilliant, and then Rod goes down, and they're suddenly scrambling to replace her. Yeah, with, and then we're putting kind of square pegs into round holes, and then yeah, yeah like we say, if, if Shaw was to go out, then mm. who is Hemp your number nine? Yeah, but then there's like I say, there's there's rumours swirling around two of your key yeah first elevens and key to your system and the way you play football leaving very you know relatively soon. So yeah. like I say, I feel like it's potentially a problem that I'm sure people are talking about, but I don't feel like people have potentially talked about it enough. I haven't heard that much discussion about it no and it's, it, it, like I said, it's been sort of rattling around my mind a little bit that was my hot take do you have any hot takes or I anything don't, you want to bring to the table this week i have a gasp you have a gasp goal assist save okay. pass well, we'll move on to gasp then yeah what's your gasp my gasp is kiara keating's uh i mean she made two brilliant saves to to, to keep man city ahead against arsenal in the fa cup at the weekend and then also had a, a bit of a malfunction where she kind of caught a routine cross and then nearly chucked it over her own line. Um, well, we say nearly. It, the jury's still out on whether the ball crossed the line or not, but we'll never know. I, I, I'm inclined to think it, it just was on the right side of the line from yeah. her perspective. But yeah, um, before she did that, she uh, she made a couple of brilliant saves, One of the, the best of which I think was a uh, Victoria Pullover header, which... You know, not only did it sort of loop into the top corner, Keating, it was it was past Keating, and yet she somehow not only got the the jump to get to the ball, but was able to sort of like you know arch backwards and and claw it out when the ball had gone past her. Which I always think you know it's not a it's not a save type you see very often, but when you do, when the ball is past the goalkeeper already and they somehow get behind themselves to to claw it out. You know, the the example I always think of is there was a. David Seaman save I think in an FA Cup semi-final or final in the mid-90s where I think it's a header and he yeah it's it's past him basically on the line and somehow he, he kind of claws it back out and flicks it away and it was uh yeah mm. similar to that so shout out Kiara Keating yeah I completely agree with you and and yeah I think that I think I said to you at the time like I think that um that sort of like fumble that she had just after those two saves. I think it was a corner, wasn't it? it was a yeah. Corner, a free kick corner. I think for me, I'd, watching that, it, it just seemed like she just made these two incredible saves. So she just sort of relaxed a little bit. And I think she doesn't really go up decisively enough for that 
no. for that corner. So I think she just sort of sticks her hands in the air to catch it. She's not than, the tallest of goalkeepers either, yeah. is she? So. so I think that sort of, for me, like it was just a moment of just a lapse in concentration. Yeah. To be fair to her, like I say, she just made two incredible saves and she had, I think, about 20 minutes before just been clonked on the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah, no, she seemed all right. She made those two incredible saves, so fair play to her. Can't really argue with that. In front of Serena Wiegmann as well. In front well. of Serena Wiegmann as well, which obviously worried me a bit. <laughs> <laughs> What's your gasp? Yeah, so I think there was only one uh, option for this for me, for gasp this week. Um, it, was, it wasn't the first goal we saw of the weekend, but I immediately said to you, that's the goal of the week. You did? We saw it live. Yes. It was incredible. It was Shannon O'Brien against Blues. And it was just... I've watched it 17,000 times. It was just delicious. It was beautiful. Cutting beautiful. inside. Cutting inside. She's sort of like... She's sort of side on to the goal as well. Yeah. She's not like... Yeah, and she just sort of curves it around. Oh, it's just so beautiful. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's... It was her it's first goal. Is that right? Yeah, in the match, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. First of first of two in the match, yeah. yeah. Second goal was pretty good as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just in the right place at the right time and nice finish. But, the Yeah. Yeah, so there we go. I think we're done. All good. That one's gone. That one's gone quick. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Time flies when you're slagging off the end of your. <laughs> <laughs> the long this. Uh, no offense, Americans, but some offense. Some offense. This are um this episode was also sponsored by the Long Island Lady Riders, um and Serena Vegan's apple cinnamon pancakes. Yeah, and also the pancake restaurant in The Hague, which apparently doesn't sell pancakes, but does facilitate uh, football managerial moves. I, I, it could, it, I assume it does actually sell pancakes, and she may very well have been eating pancakes, but it did not say that in the article. Uh, if you would like to know if she was eating pancakes, you can either take it up with her or The Guardian. Cause... I'm choosing to believe it's a it's a front. It's like Los Polos Hermanos, but for signing Dutch managers. Yeah, but they managers. still do serve chicken. That is true. Yeah, that, so that doesn't really work as a metaphor. So, yeah, you failed there. We'll leave it there. I'll go and think about what I've said. Yeah, go and think about what you've said. Um, yeah, and I, I, I do apologise um, for what I'm about to say, but because um, I hate it when people do this. But we are now on Spotify, so and Podchaser, and hopefully Apple Podcasts soon. I haven't checked. Maybe we are on Apple Podcasts, but can you like follow us and rate us if you are listening? Because I think hopefully we've opened up to an audience wider than my dad and my cousin now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you are listening and you are out there. If you've made you, it this far. If you've made it this far past all the chat about pancakes, can you please, yeah, follow and... and, and uh, Subscribe. Su- subscribe. Can you subscribe like on subscribe. Spotify? Um, yeah, no, you follow. You follow. What an age we live in. On Spotify. And then also um, make sure as well to follow us on X... Twitter. Oh, yeah, Twitter, whatever the kids are calling it these days. Um, at Why Always She Pod. Um, we post dank memes for the youth. Yes, very dank. No, we, we we sometimes post stupid stuff that we think's funny. And yeah, there's updates about episodes and stuff. So And, and you know, other goings on. Sometimes we go to live football matches and we post about that. So yeah, if you want to keep up with a bit more content outside of these weekly ramblings, just give us a follow. Oh, God. I hate doing that. But, you know. Needs must. Needs must. Okay. And on that note, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.